Hi, Dr. Mike Carberry here. Welcome to our podcast. And um, today I have a special guest, Amanda Marrier from Azon. And Azon is a um, medical appliance and medical device DME company. I know a lot of our uh, clients use Azon. So we wanted to talk to Amanda, get her viewpoint on the products that they distribute and how they should be used. And um, just give more information to our clients about DME. So Amanda, welcome. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, my, my pleasure. So, um, you know, when we talk about orthotics, when we talk about DME, uh, I found that a lot of doctors are hesitant to embrace the idea of DME and using DME. <laughs> sure. Excuse me. Um, and I find that there's three reasons why an office fails at being able to deliver DME. Um, so I'm going to try to cover those in the beginning first. So one of the things is confidence to, for some reason, some of these doctors think, well, this is too much money. You know, this is too expensive. This is too whatever. And, um, I actually wrestled with that myself earlier on in my career. I thought, well, you know, they really don't do anything. It's just that you brace it. You're, you know, I don't believe in braces. If you use a brace too much, the patient gets atrophy and that's not actually the case. Um, so there's a special way to use these braces, but the way I, realized that I should be using this more with our patients and it actually helps with our patients is I looked at what they're getting if they don't come to us if they come to uh, their family right. practitioner um, the complaint that they usually have is most common complaint in the world and that's chronic degenerative arthritis so they have knee pain they have hip pain they have back pain so they go to their doctor their family practitioner and they um, they say I have back pain and I ask people, do you think they're going to get a physical, is that a physical problem or a chemical problem? What would you say to that, Amanda? Physical. Yeah. And that's what everybody says. So although some people say, well, there's a chemical component, which is true, but um, it's a physical problem. It's caused by a physical injury or a physical derangement. So then I say, okay, would it be better to give them a physical remedy or a chemical remedy? What would you say to that? Physical. Yeah, and I agree. And so then I say to people, when they go to their family practitioner, what are they going to get? A physical remedy or a chemical remedy? Usually it's chemical. That's right. I would say about 99.9% yeah. .9 of the time it's going to be a chemical. So then I, I point out to the people that I'm talking to, look, when do they get the physical remedy? Who's going to give it to them? If they come to a medical clinic, they are expecting pain relief. And if that comes in a chemical remedy, well, that's where our healthcare goes so off the rails. Um, so you got to give them something. So the thing I like about these braces is one, they, they have a functional effect, but two, they also have a pain relieving effect. For example, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm going to ask you to elaborate on this, but I know when people have that degenerated knee and the knee usually doesn't degenerate uniformly, it usually degenerates medially or laterally. And it, off, it offsets the knee, the weight-bearing capacity of the knee. And a lot of times that's what brings about the pain. What, when right. you apply these offloading braces to somebody, what do you see as an effect on pain? What usually happens? Sure. So you're asking me? Yes. Sure. So um, by applying the unloading knee brace, you're going to be unloading the pressure from the compartment that has the degeneration over to the opposite healthy side of the joint and creating a bit of a space in that compartment, they've kind of lost your compartment space there. So by doing that, it allows the patient to become more active without that grinding and wearing and tearing. And it's actually phenomenal. You know, it's a phenomenal tool to provide patient with pain relief. Um, a lot of patients report that they're able to 
take long walks, some patients can run, uh, they can bike ride, go through different exercises with reduced pain or in a lot of cases, pain-free. Yeah, I, I remember when you say they can be active on that, a, a patient the years ago when I was in one of our offices and I wasn't treating, but I was actively involved in that office and they gave this patient a knee brace and um, he came in the next day and said, I have a problem with this knee brace. It's caused a big blister. And we looked at his leg and he had a big blister on it. And we're like, how'd that happen? He goes, well, maybe it's because I went running. And I said to him, well, how far did you run? And he said, 15 miles. And I was like, wow. <laughs> why did you run 15 miles? And he said, because my knee felt so good. I just kept running. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it is something that, that in my experience relieves pain a vast majority of the time and it doesn't require a medication to do that. So you're actually applying a physical remedy to a physical problem, which makes a lot more sense to me than a chemical remedy. Now, the yeah. cost, I know I wrestled with the cost and I'm sure doctors wrestle with the cost, I hear them say that. Um, this is a one-time expense, it's a one-time cost. And, and when they get paid for this, if you start adding up, the relief they're going to get from it compared to taking a medication which will wear off and has to be taken over and over and over that cost builds over time and those costs can get totally. very very expensive and mm -hmm. these knee braces and these back braces are not going to cause kidney failure or liver failure or stomach damage or anything like that so the cost of the chemical is usually much higher than the cost of the brace would you agree yeah absolutely okay good so um basically what we're doing then is we're applying something physical to a physical condition so that these people get relief and have function. So these are functional braces. Um, can you explain mm -hmm. that about the knee brace? You, I know you touched on it, but explain how it's functional. Sure. So these knee braces, um, by unloading the pressure from whatever compartment has that degeneration, uh, like I said, you can actually create a space between the bones where you've kind of lost that space. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I have some clients who um, you're definitely not required to do this, but they like to do this is they'll take before x-rays and then they'll take x-rays actually with the brace on. And in a lot of cases, you can actually see that compartment space uh, grow. Like you can see that there's more space in there. Uh, you know, some patients, you see it more than others, but you can absolutely see that difference and it allows the patient to become more active. So there's actually been a lot of studies surrounding the subject of, you know, would wearing this kind of brace cause um, weakness of the muscles? Like would it cause those muscles to become weaker rather than stronger? Is there any downside to wearing the brace too much? And pretty unanimously, all the results have shown that there's actually no danger in wearing these long-term. Um, usually patients will wear it as needed. So if they feel like they wanna go running or they wanna go walking and they need that support, put the brace on. Some patients wear it more than others. Um, but there's actually been, you know, all these studies have shown that the muscles will actually strengthen with the brace which can actually long-term also improve the condition itself, even without any type of like injection or any other type of therapy, just compliantly wearing the brace and becoming more active from wearing the brace allows them to strengthen those muscles around the joint, which uh, there was a study done by the British Medical Journal that after wearing it for two plus years, there was actually a high percentage of patients that were no longer indicated for a knee replacement surgery who previously were because they had been able to strengthen those muscles around the joint. Right. If you understand the healing uh, process in the body, you know, if you have pressure mm -hmm. on a joint, say it's, 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 let's do it so I can try to get it lined up, but, you know, medial, lateral, so, so it's, it's uneven and it's bearing more medial and you open that space up, that's going to allow more healing to take place in that area because, like you said, there's less pressure, right. less grinding. Um, now, 
that's not even bringing in the fact that we might be using a regenerative medicine product. And can we say that's going to heal it? No, we can't. Um, something's going to happen because we know when we inject people, they, they have some sort of response. But what we found is right. when somebody wears the brace while they're going through that type of therapy or rehab therapy, holding that knee at the correct angle, they do have a better result. We have before and after x-rays as well. Uh, some of them with people who got regenerative medicine. And we're not going to say, well, you know, the regenerative medicine caused that healing to grow. But we have one example where somebody got an injection. They were literally bone on bone in the lateral compartment. Um, they got an injection, a knee brace, and rehab. And two months later, without a brace on, wearing, taking an x-ray, there was no longer uh, decreased space on that side. And the patient was pain-free wow. and back to all kinds of functions. So to me, it makes sense to brace, especially for the knee brace, to brace that knee mm -hmm. at the right angle while you're trying to rehabilitate it, while you're trying to, to um, handle that. So that's one of the things that that a reason why people don't are, are not successful with these braces is because of clinical um, misunderstandings. And it's important we talk about that because, you know, I thought uh, atrophy, you know, you brace something, it gets atrophy. And that's not necessarily the case with the knee brace. Um, right. We're going to get into the other things in a minute, but let's talk about the LSO. So explain to us for sure. anybody who doesn't know, what is an LSO? So an LSO, it's a lumbar sacral orthosis. So it's a particular type of back brace. Um, it's for the low back and it has a pulley system in the back of the brace. So when a patient puts that kind of brace on, it's gonna add a little bit of like a decompressing effect because they're gonna pull those strings that are attached to the pulley system in the back of the brace. And it's a fantastic tool for helping patients to kind of handle their pain at the beginning of care and steer them away from potentially harmful medications like Tylenol or Advil or something stronger. I've seen actually a lot of success with offices, what they'll do, especially like, let's say they have a patient who is taking something for their pain, right? They come in, they've got horrible low back pain. You're of course going to do a full workup and put together a full care plan to correct whatever the underlying issue is that's causing that pain. But in the meantime, they're taking something, right? Tylenol, Advil, maybe it's something stronger. So what I've seen people do successfully is they'll say, we're going to get you into this back brace. Tell you what, I know you're taking Tylenol for your pain. Totally understand. I know you're in a lot of pain. The next time you feel the need to reach for the Tylenol, put this brace on first for about 20 minutes. And then at that point, see if you still need to take the Tylenol. And in a lot of cases, they don't. And that's a really good way to kind of transition patients off of the medication onto something else. And then, of course, you know, you're, you're going to get them far enough along to the care at some point that they don't need that form of pain relief anymore. So that's right. kind of the idea with the back braces. Now, I, I, I'm going to add something in here um, because you know, from my background, I know that if you wear a brace that is that encumbering or encompassing of the lower back, you will cause atrophy if you wear it continually. So, but it's a tool right. and it's a tool like um, a match, you know, a match can light your stove and cook dinner. A match can heat your, your heater and a match can burn your house down if you use it wrong. So it all depends mm -hmm. on how you use the tool. So the thing that you said that was most um, germane or most important in this concept is it has a decompressive effect. So there's a therapeutic mm -hmm. use to this brace. So like what you said, instead of taking the Tylenol, try using the brace. The way we instruct our, our patients to use them in our clinic is we say, we want you to use this twice a day, uh, half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the afternoon. And then we might up that to an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon. Um, but we want you to use it as a therapeutic effect because you're going to decompress that spine and all day long, nothing else except for maybe an adjustment or coming into a traction table is going to decompress that that spine. So if you can decompress that just a little bit twice a day, mm -hmm. that's going to have a very therapeutic benefit. The only other time we want you to use it is if you're having pain. So we tell them, 
twice a day, half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the afternoon, or if you're having pain. Um, and then if you're having pain, you need to call us and get in here and let us take a look at you as well. But we're using it that way as a tool. It's like a car. A car can run you over or a car can get you to church. It all depends on how you use it, right? So we want the tool to be used. The reason the reimbursement is so high on this is not necessarily for the brace itself, although the brace is an amazing device, but it's the instruction given and the, the care given by the clinician on how it's used and how it's fitted. Am I right about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the big difference between if a patient were to get like some kind of like a like a little belt or like a belly belt or something off of Amazon or from Walgreens. Right. People um, there's say a that. really big difference. Yeah. So they there's say, a big difference number one in the actual Yeah. So um there is definitely a difference in the product itself. You know, there's a huge difference in the actual quality of the product and how much relief is it actually gonna give and what are the other aspects to it. But the other portion is having um, you know, a physician kind of overseeing the use of that brace can make a humongous difference in whether a patient becomes, you know, reliant on the product or if they're using it as a stepping stone as part of their recovery. Exactly. But for me, what the thing I like the most about it is it does also work very, very effectively for pain. And if somebody uses this for pain instead of taking a medication, one, they're going to get themselves off the medication. And two, less danger to the body, less danger to the, the visceral organs. Um, so that they can actually use this in a very safe way. And it's the way healthcare is supposed to be. It's a physical, mm -hmm. excuse me, a physical remedy for a physical problem. It just makes a lot more sense to me. So um, let, let's talk about, um, <coughs> excuse me. There's a couple of reasons why these fail. Number one is clinician misunderstanding. And usually when I handle what we just handled, it usually handles that. Um, the yeah. second one is verification. So there's a, a process to verification and it's pretty exact. If you stray from it, there's a lot of pitfalls where, well, let's, let's just face it. I don't believe insurance companies love to give money out. And yeah. so they're not always going to, I mean, I, I, there's just a couple arguments to that, but we're just going to say, okay, you call the insurance company. It seems like they give you partial information or they won't give you all the information. You have to ask the right questions, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So exactly. I want to go back, talk about that verification process for any of our listeners to clear up some of their, because I've had people say, oh, I verified, they're not covered in, in our state of Texas. And I'm like, Texas is one yeah. of the best covering <laughs> states in the country. Um, totally. And it's because they asked the wrong questions. You want to shed some light on that? Definitely. Yeah. So what sometimes I come across offices that um, this is, they've tried DME in the past, right? They've tried to get paid on bracing and they go, yeah, I tried that. I couldn't get anything paid or denied or I couldn't find coverage. It's a very, very common thing I hear. And I think the reason is, is that people don't realize just how different durable medical equipment is regarded by insurance companies. It's really different than billing your services and verifying insurance coverage for your services. Different questions, there's different restrictions, and you have to know what to ask. Like a big one, for example, is that when it comes to prescribing a brace for a patient, the type of prescriber makes a humongous difference. Depending on the insurance company, one patient Maybe they're not covered if a chiropractor prescribes it, but they are covered if a nurse practitioner prescribes it. So if you call and you verify their insurance coverage and you don't verify it under the individual MPI, you verify it under the group, just an example, they might say, yeah, it's covered. And then a chiropractor prescribes it and builds it and they find out they actually were not covered under a chiropractor. So you have to, you know, that's one example. You have to check it under the individual MPI, which is of course connected to the group MPI, but we want to clarify like who exactly is doing the prescribing to be sure they're actually covered. 
Another thing is um, some plans have a separate DME deductible. I've seen this as an issue as well, where an office verifies the insurance coverage. They're like, great, their deductible has been met. They bill it out. And then they find out it's going towards a completely unmet DME deductible is $5,000. And then they're going, well, I should not have billed that, right? So there's certain things you need to check that are specific for DME. So we do educate all of our customers on that. We have a script that we recommend that you use, whether you're calling or you're checking on availability. It gives you exactly what to look for so that when you go to bill a brace, you actually do know that it's covered and you don't have, you know, that issue where you bill it out and you go, shoot, I thought it was covered, but actually there was this restriction I didn't know about. Right. So, we actually launched we within the last year over COVID-19 a DME coach and a DME program because we so many people are having difficulty mm -hmm. with this. And it's really such a crucial part of what we do. I believe a lot of the success we have in our clinics that we've had in Tennessee and in Pennsylvania was due to the use of braces, which I was resistant to in the beginning. Yeah. So um, I know that when I would call, I would get involved in, in the launching of this program and I was calling some of the clients and um, I'm, I would always hook them up to you or, or um, to Max and, and so that they could have an appointment with Azon. And you guys were very good about explaining in detail um, how that, that verification process goes. And I know I've had a number of clients tell me, you know, I tried it and I thought it wasn't covered, but then when Amanda got involved, we found out actually it is covered. So um, yeah, I, it's probably a, a really good thing for them to try not to do it alone, but to get your help, enlist your help with it. And you will, what, what do you do? How do you help them? Sure. So, um, you know, at Azon, we do sell braces, right? So we sell the products themselves. But I learned very quickly when I got into this industry that hospitals seem to know what they were doing as far as how to get these things paid and how to prescribe them or what needs to be in the notes. But a lot of private practices, medical, chiropractic, like it didn't really matter even what kind of practice, private practices, it seemed like they were missing information, right? So what we did is we put together a full training that encompasses all like the overall policies for the DME, and we put it as simply as we can, how you can compliantly prescribe, document, and bill for these items and how to find that coverage so that you're able to offer these and you don't, you know, face a bunch of denials. So we train all of our new customers on exactly um, how to do that. And we also have, like I said, a script that you can use to do your verification. Uh, we do have all the templates as well for the letters of medical necessity that are required to be on file in order to be compliant. Um, so we really try and make it as turnkey as possible so that private practices can offer these products and they can get paid. It's not just the hospitals that are able to do, you know, these types of products. So yeah, we try and make it as simple as possible. We'll also, of course, help offices. Every single insurance company is a bit different how they handle the DME. Some are much easier than others, but there's universally, there's a lot of coverage across the board. There's just a little bit of tweaking sometimes you have to do with the verification or, you know, modifiers and things like that, depending on the insurance company. So we do our best to really help our customers to be successful and work through that beginning period so they can actually get paid on these. Right, because it does meet the three rules of AMI, and that is, number one, it mm -hmm. improves the outcome of the patient. Number two, if you do it right, it's compliant. And number three, it's profitable. And um, it's, yeah. I hate to see people missing out on that profit center because, and we don't want to call it a profit center, we'll call it a service center. But it's important that those patients get that. If they don't get that, they're going to be taking medication. And I, most people that I know in this business are against the idea of medication because of the dangers that are involved in it. Now, we're talking about insurance companies, and we're, so they're the major medical carriers, and you're very good at helping people navigate that. We want to talk about mm -hmm. Medicare. Medicare is not an insurance company. Medicare is a government agency. They have different rules. Right. So is Medicare the only one that really requires a DME license? 
For the most part, yeah. So, and I'll, and there are a couple exceptions, but Medicare, they require, it's a very separate process. You have to get a Medicare DME PTAN number. This is not a PTAN, but like, this is not the regular PTAN for the office. This is the DME PTAN. Sometimes I have offices mix that up. They go, oh yeah, I have a PTAN, I can build this. And you can't, you have to have a DME PTAN. And this is a license, not for an individual, but for the actual facility. And there's a whole bunch of requirements and different things that kind of encompass this whole subject. Like we could talk about just this for an hour. You know, it's like a very separated thing. And it's definitely something that I can kind of help guide my clients on to a certain degree. And then when it gets more advanced, I can refer them to certain companies like Gold Star Billing. They're very versed in that application and billing compliantly to Medicare. So um, Medicare, for the most part, yes, is the one that's a guaranteed. You have to have a specific license. And uh, there's only certain types of prescribers that can prescribe braces to Medicare. Like a chiropractor can't prescribe a brace for a Medicare patient and, and get paid for it. But a nurse practitioner or a PA or an MD can. So um, that's Medicare. There are a couple other um, commercial insurance companies that do require a special license, like Blue Cross Blue Shield in Michigan, for example. Um, but that's very, I think there's only maybe like two or three commercial insurance companies in the whole country that require that. And it's on a much smaller scale. It's not like the Medicare license. It's a right. the shorter process. It's a lot less expensive. Now, going back to the Medicare, um, I know mm -hmm. that process was pretty daunting years ago. Um, and mm -hmm. they would, uh, I believe the stance they took is if a chiropractor is involved, they need a special abuse education, which takes longer than a medical person. But mm -hmm. then COVID-19 hit and there was an emergency of healthcare and, and uh, President Trump passed some executive orders one of them being that he expedited the time to get this license because um, you know one yeah. of the most common complaint that people have when they walk into an emergency room or uh, an urgent care is back pain. And so yeah. um, if the ERs were gonna be tied up with COVID-19, which we thought was gonna happen at the beginning of this, um, they passed this executive order to expedite this and the process was tremendously shortened instead of being like a mm -hmm. one or two year process, it got down to be what, like two weeks. Am I right? Uh, the initial, what well, the initial statement from Medicare was if you do a, a web application, it's seven business days. If you do a paper application, it's 14. And I will say a lot of people jumped on board doing this. And so I think they got backed up a little bit. So in the beginning it was taking people less than seven business days. Now I think it's taking people a few weeks, but still that's compared to like a one to two year process. That's, but that's still the in effect. Are they going to have to apply for a permanent license when this whole pandemic thing is over? This is the question that everybody has. So per the last thing Medicare put out in writing, yes, it looks like, you know, per what they said, this is temporary status. And whenever the national emergency is lifted, there will be a certain window of time to complete the rest of the application process, including if the business is owned by a chiropractor, and there's certain exemptions that, um, if anybody has questions on that, we don't have to go into it on this webinar, but um, there are certain exemptions to having to do this other part of it, which is called the accreditation. Um, but if you have to go through the accreditation, like you're not exempt from it, and you have to do the rest of the application process, like the site visit, the criminal background checks, everything like that, you will have to do that when the national emergency is lifted. That is my understanding of the last thing that was put out by Medicare. Um, some people think that maybe they'll be grandfathered in it's possible. I, what I say is that I never thought what happened with uh, this license right now that you can get it in seven business days. I never would have thought that would have happened. So at this point, it, nothing would surprise me, you know, well, we but have a the last thing that was in writing is that you would have to do it. 
love him or hate him, we have a president in the White House who recognizes that pharmaceuticals are not the be all end all. And um, yeah. he actually is a fan of chiropractic. I, I know when uh, he had his daughter uh, with, um, I forget the name of his second wife, but um, they, I remember it was on the chiro cover of Chiropractic Magazine that the first doctor to, that saw that child was a chiropractor. Um, oh, really? Yeah, when he was, this before he ever had aspirations to be president. So, um, wow. you know, he's, he's a fan of natural medicine and, and I think his expediting this whole process was part of that, like, you know, hey, these people are going to be taking drugs. We're going to have a bunch of people overdosing on opioids at home, which that, you know, he was pretty fortuitous in looking at that because over the, the opioid crisis did increase over this whole pandemic. I thing. That. But it could have been yeah. worse if they had no other remedy than taking medication and that's the medication they were getting. Mm -hmm. So um, he was pretty smart to put that order in. And it, I think it was really good for our profession as well. So let's hope that stays in and let's hope there's a grandfather clause to that. Now, so we talked about um, the specifics of verification. So, and, and we're talking a little bit about coverage and proving medical necessity. How do we prove medical necessity? Right. What can you shed light on with that? Sure. So for every single type of brace, it's actually very simple. Um, Medicare puts out policies. Medicare is the gold standard of DME by far. I would say 90% commercial insurance companies just default to the Medicare guidelines on every single type of brace. Some insurance companies might have slightly different you know, policies, both like workers' comp and PI could be a little different, um, but we show you how to identify that ahead of time so you're never like blindsided by that. Um, but we educate you on all the Medicare policies for each type of brace that you're interested in that lays out the exact requirements for medical necessity for the braces. So you have certain options to pick from. Like for the back brace, there's four reasons for medical necessity, and you just need to be able to document at least one of them in your notes that that's your reason for prescribing the brace. So that part's very simple. So then in addition to the notes in the exam, you're also required to have for every single type of brace what's called a letter of medical necessity. So this is a form that hits certain points on it to prove and back up and justify your medical necessity. And this is what I was saying that our company provides the templates for these forms. And then we educate your provider or whoever's going to be prescribing the brace on how to fill this out correctly. And then you keep that on file, you know, with the notes in the exam. And then there's a third form, which is called a proof of delivery form. We have a template for this as well. And that's where the patient is signing for the brace, that they understand what this is for. They were shown how to use it. They know how this relates to their care plan. They know how to contact if they have problems. And then this goes into the chart as well. So those are the three main things that you need to have. So then if you do have notes requested down the line, you need to be able to produce those three things. And um, as long as you followed, you know, the guidelines and everything that we show you during our training, I've had clients who have had notes requested by Medicare, by commercial insurance companies. They've been thoroughly looked at. I know your clinic has been looked at and you guys use these forms as well. Mm -hmm. um, and as long as you fill them out completely, they've always passed the test of proving medical necessity. Right. That's the nice thing about having a company like you and a representative like you, because, um, we, I've had clients tell me, yeah, I went to somebody who was a cheaper price, but then when something went wrong, they were nowhere around to help. And, you know, yeah. And, and to, you know, there, I, I, I do want to point out, we do have very cheap prices. We do have very good pricing, but yeah, but, but I, I always, definitely get what you mean. Yeah. There's always somebody there who tries to cut undercut that, that price. And, yeah. um, you know, I mean, you're in business and to deliver the level of service you deliver is a cost. And so what, what a lot of our clients learn the hard way, which I did, is that cost yeah. is pretty high cost if you need that service, which eventually you will. So for me, I go, I'd rather work with a company that's loyal and supports us and, and backs us up 
and gets good prices, then just one is going to try to get the lowest price to steal everybody's business and go for a volume thing and not support. Yeah. Um, I know from being Absolutely. in sales that every time a company does that, uh, you know, I was in sales selling advertising and then I was in sales selling um, building maintenance supplies. And so what would happen is what, every once in a while I'd lose a customer to somebody who had a lower price. I'd always get them back as soon as they ran into one obstacle because the guy with the lower price wasn't there to support or was just speaking out both sides of his mouth. And so I, I always realized a better salesperson is one who, who offers both like you do. So we're glad you do yeah. that. Um, just looking down my paperwork here, the last reason why people fail at this, believe it or not, is stocking. They don't have an inventory. Yeah. So um, I have my ideas on that. And I know that if, if it's like if you go to the hospital and they say, well, you need a brace, but we don't have it in stock. We're going to order it as soon as you pay or as soon as you sign up, then we'll order it and we'll get it in seven days. And that would be the end of it. I'd be like, no, I don't need that. Yeah. Um, but if they say this was ordered for you by the doctor or the nurse practitioner who examined you. So we're going to I'm going to show you how it fits right now. There's very little resistance to it. Um, so mm -hmm. having them in stock is crucial. Yet. I think what, what the fear is, you know, being inexperienced at business, a lot of chiropractors go, well, if I have inventory and then I get stuck with the inventory, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. I'm like, no, there's, you should actually budget anytime you have any type of inventory of any product that there is going to be a certain right. amount of maybe pilferage or maybe uh, not being reimbursed, but that's usually going to be a very small amount. If you, if you look in the like, for example, in our office, if we did a half a million dollars in DME last year, it wouldn't be unreasonable for me to think, well, then maybe 25,000 of those products, $25,000 worth of those products, I'm going to have an issue with them. Maybe it won't get reimbursed or get lost or, or somebody gets it where their policy lapsed or something like that. That's just the cost of doing business. That 25,000 compared right. to 500,000 is nothing. So <clears throat> can you share with me what your recommendations are for stocking of these devices sure so i mean it does depend on the size of the office so just i would say just kind of rule of thumb um if you if it, it's a chiropractic office or it's a medically integrated office that sees a lot of like low back pain patients and knee pain patients i'd say if you broke it down on average roughly 90 percent of patients who have low back pain would be indicated for a back brace most likely um and then for knee patients, maybe 60% of any patients coming in with a knee problem would be indicated for some kind of a knee brace. So keeping that in mind, offices, offices that I see that run really well and really smooth and they're not like running out of inventory and trying to overnight stuff constantly, they usually keep about two to three weeks worth of braces on hand at a time. Um, so depending on how many new patients you see per week, I would calculate that and go, okay, about 90% of those patients are going to need of our back pain patients are going to need a back brace and maybe about 60% are going to need a knee brace times that by two or three. And that's roughly how much you should be carrying in the office. Now, some of our offices, they prefer to buy in huge bulk because you do get better pricing if you're buying like 65, 75, 85 braces at a time, um, or even uh, our bulk pricing starts at 45 braces at a time. So we do have offices that do that. They buy in bulk, maybe it's like a month's worth or two months worth, depending on how many new patients a month they see. Um, but otherwise I'd say that three week rule is a good rule of thumb. Okay, good. Now, I will say also with Medicare, you're required to have sufficient stock. If you have that Medicare DME PTAN number, part of staying compliant is you're now a DME supplier. You're expected to have 
an adequate supply of braces. You can't have like one brace and call yourself a DME supplier. You have to have right. sufficient inventory. Well, that's a whole different, you know, when I was in undergrad school, I, I got my degree in marketing and part of, uh, to get that degree, I had to study retail and that's just part of basic retail. You have to have stock. Yeah. Um, and so exactly. it's something that scares, you know, we're primarily service industry and if you don't understand retail, you don't understand inventory, it scares some of the doctors. I think that's why they shy away from it. But, you know, in the bottom, the bottom line is, you know, I use that example of 25,000. That's probably excessive. If you lose some of the material, it's probably more like less than 10,000. But um, it, it's, just, you know, out of a $500,000 quantity of sales. So, you know, having this stock, having it in, in, in the office, you know, you, you should take some measures of security and have them not fully accessible because, you know, they could disappear off yeah. the shelf, especially if you have a lot of employees. Um, but it's just part of the game. You know, you got to have inventory. If you're going to, could you imagine going into Walmart and nothing's on the shelves? Like, oh, we'll order it for you. And you go, well, I'll just get it from Amazon. Then you, then with the yeah. thing with Amazon, you can't feel it, touch it, try it on, see it, whatever. So in this model, they should plan on having some stock. So three weeks is a good guide. And I appreciate you sharing it with me. So sure. I think that's pretty much what I had that I wanted to speak about. Is there something that you wanted to uh, cover before we break? Um, I think just, you know, one thing that I've noticed recently in light of COVID-19 and everything that's going on is um, DME really has been a lifesaver for a lot of clinics and patients. You know, um, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but a big thing that got a lot of offices through that time period where their offices had to be closed, they couldn't see patients in person, was they were able to turn to telemedicine. And bracing is one of the main things you can do over telemedicine. I mean, you can do exams, you can do re-exams, you can do a little bit of rehab, but you can prescribe a brace over telemedicine. And that's what a lot of our customers started doing during that time period when they were closed that really got them through you know, financially and, you know, continuing to help their patients. And it got a lot of patients through as well, because you made mention there has been a spike in um, opioid usage and opioid overdoses during COVID because people are stuck at home. You know, there's various reasons why somebody might be taking opioids. It could be for their pain. It could be for other reasons, but, um, you know, providing a patient with a tool to help them at home that's not a drug or medication is huge in keeping that patient safe and keeping them off of those types of drugs. So um, even still, you know, with limited, you know, not everybody can go into clinics right now, just depending on if they're high risk um, or if they're older and clinics, I understand there's different regulations depending on the state, but maybe they can't see so many patients per day as they used to. So even still, it's definitely still an option to be doing telemedicine and doing the braces via telemedicine. Um, so yeah, anybody who's interested in that should definitely reach out. You know, that's something that you can still do right now, in addition to seeing your patients in the office. Right. We, we have a number of clients that were not clients um, who said that uh, we just had it happen just last week. We did a discovery day and somebody signed on and as she was signing on, she said, you know, I really, I owe it to you guys to join your group because you guys saved my practice during COVID-19 because, you know, she did the bracing program and uh, it basically kept her afloat. And so, yeah, you're right yeah. about that. A lot of people did do that. I know we had a client signed on and he not only did it keep him afloat, he had one of the best months he ever had and he signed on with us because of that. So, yeah. and then if you, you look at what people did during that whole COVID process, most of them stayed home. What do you do when you stay home? You start working on the garage, you work in the basement, you fix things up and people got injured. I had one of our doctors in Texas tell me she went to Lowe's and there was a line to get in the store and she was like, 
all these people are going to be injuring themselves and where are they going to go yeah. she stayed open because of that so all right well yeah. good well <laughs> thank you for your time i think it was really good information i think our doctors need to hear it and um if they want to reach out to you um they know how to contact you correct or do you want to give that information now your yeah so i'll give that information address. so yeah so you can reach me at my email is training at azon a-z-o-n medical.com and then my direct line is 484-883-7327 so yeah any questions whether you're a customer of ours or not any questions that you have in regard to bracing definitely give me a call i'm more than happy to help great well thanks for being part of this show and bringing the information that you brought uh it's always a pleasure to talk to you and i will see you next time uh for our listeners thanks for tuning okay. in hopefully this information has been beneficial to you and we'll see you on our next podcast.